hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 13th. So if you will recall, our daily devotional is divided into two different segments. We have our Through the Bible in One Year segment. And we have our first of the day segment. <clears throat> so our verse for June the twelfth comes from Romans chapter twelve, verse ten, which says, "Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves." So all those who are devoted in faith to Jesus Christ must be devoted to one another as spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. With sincerity, sensitivity, and kindness, we must be concerned for the welfare, for the needs, and for the spiritual condition of others. We must be empathizing with them and helping them through their sorrows and their troubles. So we must honor and respect one another, recognizing the good qualities in other Christians. In this way, people who do not know Christ will notice and be drawn to his love, which they will see reflected in us. So our Bible readings that you have to do for June the 12th are 1 Kings chapter 9 through 10, Acts 8, 14 through 40, Psalm 130, 1 through 8, and Proverbs 17, 2 through 3. So that concludes our verse of the day segment for June the 12th. We will now be moving into our Through the Bible in One Year segment for June the 12th. So this is day 162, by the way, of our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So in case you have missed any of these segments at all, you can get caught up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com. So our focus for June 12th is going to be John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. So over the last three days, we have seen four the five reasons that Jesus' departure was to his disciples' advantage. We have seen that he was going to prepare a better place. That's the first reason. We have seen that he was going to show them and us the way to the Father. That's the second reason. We have seen that he was going to show them and us greater intimacy of relationship with the Father. So that's the third reason. And he he was going to, sh- to enable them and us to do greater works, which is the fourth reason. And so now we come to the fifth and final in the the most important reason for why Jesus' departure was to his disciples' advantage, and that reason was to send the divine helper. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 15, uh, John chapter 14, verse 15, 
and we're gonna go through first 21 to start off with so here's what that says it says if you love me keep my commands and i will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever the spirit of truth the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him, for he lives with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I, too, will love them and show myself to them. So Jesus continued here to help his disciples understand why it was better for him to go than to stay. So you see, he connected love and obedience for the first of several times in this long discourse that we see that has started in chapter 13 and is now going to go all the way up through chapter 17. So Jesus promised that he would ask the Father to give the disciples another advocate, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that in greater detail later on. But first we got to go through the basics of what we're seeing here before we can go back and talk about this advocate or this counselor that Jesus said he was going to ask the Father to send to us. So, another advocate who would never leave them, just as he will never leave us. So, Jesus also referred to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. And you see, the world cannot receive the Spirit, but the Spirit was in, was with the disciples, and would soon be in the disciples. That's the key point, key part here, right? So the Spirit was already with the disciples, and soon the Spirit would be living inside the disciples. So Jesus again promised the disciples he would not leave them as orphans. In fact, he would come to them, referring to his coming to them after his resurrection that we're going to see as we progress through the rest of John's gospel. So we see that Jesus' victory over death would result in eternal life for his followers and those who obey Jesus demonstrate a genuine love for him and they will enjoy an experiential knowledge of God's presence. In other words, they will feel God's presence through the feeling of the Holy Spirit. They'll feel something about it, right? They'll experience it. So now we're going to pick up in verse 22, and we're going to go through verse 24, which says, Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own; they belong to the Father who 
sent me. So what's going on here? So we see that Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus, wondered why Jesus would show himself to the disciples, but not to the world. Again, we see Jesus not answer this question directly, as was his habit so often. Jesus had a habit of not answering questions directly, but using the, the, his disciples' questions about something as a teaching moment so that they could figure out the answers for themselves. Because you see, it's better if you're able to figure the answer out for yourself than to just be given the answer directly. And so he did not answer the question directly, but encourage them to live a life characterized by obedience. Right, so the, what we see there is that those who love and obey Jesus will experience the abiding presence of both the Father and the Son. So again, to disobey Jesus' words is to disobey the Father who sent the Son. Because what we have to remember is that the Father and the Son are equal. So the Father and the Son are equal, and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are also all equal. So if you disobey one, you have disobeyed the other. So keep that in mind as we move forward. So now let's pick up in verse 25 and go through verse 27, which says, All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. So again, we see that Jesus' final words, or some of Jesus' final words in this chapter, emphasizes assurance. So we'll see that Jesus' departure, however, still remains a prominent part of this discussion. So you see the Spirit would interpret Jesus' words and ministry to the disciples and remind them of Jesus' teachings. So the Spirit would guide them as they wrote the scriptures, especially and in particularly the Gospels. And Jesus returned to the topic of peace in the midst of this turmoil, because you see, peace is more than just absence of strife, which is how the world defines peace. The world defines peace as being this absence of strife, and everything is okie-dokie, everything is okay, everything is fine. That is the world's definition of peace. But what peace and nation we're referring to is well being and blessing. And you see, that is what peace is really all about. Peace is really all about your well-being and your blessing. So you see, Jesus blesses his followers with his peace. And the well-being that is the result of being in a right relationship with him. So you see, the peace that the world gives is dependent on life's circumstances, while the peace Jesus gives 
is not dependent on the world's circumstances. Or excuse me, on life's circumstances. But it's based on the fact that you have placed your faith and trust in the one who has overcome the world. So now let's pick up in verse 28 and take it through the end of this section, which would be verse 31, <clears throat> which says, You heard me say I'm going away, and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come. Now, let us leave. So you see, since Jesus blessed them with his peace, the disciples had no need to fear his talk of departure. Because you see, Jesus' coming, coming about going away and coming back is another reference to his death and to his resurrection. You see, he knew, he knew that his disciples did not fully understand what he was saying. Because, you see, if they had, they would have rejoiced. But they didn't. They were still sorrowful. They were still trying to figure out how this man is going to leave and come back. How he's going to go to the Father and come back. When to go to the Father means that you have died. And so it is unlikely that Jesus believed they had no love for him. But you see, if they truly loved him... They would have had, they would have been more concerned about him and less concerned about themselves. Because Jesus' purpose in telling them these things was for their faith in him to be strengthened when the events that were going to take place took place. So you see, what we see here is that Satan had no legal claim on Jesus, because Jesus had lived a sinless life, because you see, the only one that Satan has, the only person that Satan would have a legal valid claim to, were those that had not lived a sinless life. Why, when Jesus died on that cross, the veil of the temple was torn into was the old sacrificial system that said that the blood of a lamb had to be spilt to atone for your sins no longer needed to be done because now the sinless son of God has paid the penalty for all of your sins past present and future so since jesus called his disciples to leave with him it is highly probable that the remainder of this of the discourse that we see may have taken place on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where the rest of John's Gospel, outside of this discourse, starts to unfold, which is where Jesus was arrested by the temple guards, It's where Judas actually we see Judas actually betray Jesus. So now, so now that we have covered the 
basics of all of this. Let's turn back to take a closer look at verses 16 through 18, which contain the heart of this passage about Jesus sending the Holy Spirit to be our divine helper, or our divine advocate, or our divine counselor, or whichever term you would like to use to describe what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so we're going to start with verse 16, which says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you for ever. <clears throat> right, so, verse 15, which says, If you love me, keep my commands, suggest that Jesus will ask the Father to give the counselor or the advocate. It depends on which translation you read, or which version of a translation you read. So, the old version of the New International Version, which is what I use, says counselor, but the new and updated version says advocate. It, again, just depends on which one you use. The King James still uses the term comforter, which is a really, really bad way to translate that word. So, uh, suggest that Jesus will give the, ask the Father to Give the counselor or the advocate only to those who truly love him and obey his word. You see, Jesus uses the present tense in verse 15 to point out the need for a continuing attitude of love and obedience. So now that we know who Jesus is giving this promise to, let's talk about what Jesus is promising. He's going to ask the Father to send so Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another counselor or another advocate. Just as Jesus himself had been for his disciples. So the title counselor or advocate, again it depends on which version of the translation or even which translation you use as to which one of those two words is used to describe the Holy Spirit translates the Greek word parakletos which means literally one called alongside to help. That's what it means literally in the when you take the Greek and translate it directly into English. When you take it and you translate it into English to be a, a, a word in English that we would actually understand that's not a this big long phrase, right, which means one call alongside to help, right? It's actual translation what the people in ancient what the speakers of ancient Greek would have heard, they would have heard the term advocate. They would have heard of someone who would come along beside a family and help them through a crisis to help guide them through the legal process of whatever it was that that family needed help with. So that is why most modern translations either use the term counselor or advocate because those two fit much better with the literal meaning of one called alongside to help or one who stands beside you, one who stands with you, which is literally, if you look up the definition of the English word advocate, that is literally, the, def the dictionary defines the word advocate as being. So this rich word that refers to a wide range of spiritual roles such as counselor, strengthener, comforter, helper, advisor, advocate, intercessor, ally, and friend, right? So those are all the things that the Holy Spirit is, and that's all kind of sort of summed up in this compound 
record that we see Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit by calling him the Paracletos or the Paraclete, or Counselor, or our Advocate, the one who stands beside us, the one who stands with us to help us, to guide us, to direct us. So again, let's talk about the Greek word for another, which is alien, which means literally another of the same kind, which is different than heteros, meaning another of a different kind. So what we see here is that the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, is also God, and we continue what Christ himself did while on earth. And so what we learn here in this short verse are two big things about the Holy Spirit. The first one is that the Spirit is a personal being who will be by the disciple's side and by our side to help strengthen us and to help to help strengthen us and them and to teach us and them the truth and to guide the course of our lives just as it guided the course of their lives to strengthen and comfort us just as it strengthened and comforted them in difficult situations to intercede which literally means to plead a case for someone through prayer to be a friend who promotes our best interest just as he promoted their best interest and to remain with us just as he remained with them forever and that's the first thing we got to understand about the Holy Spirit. The second thing we can, that we see about the Holy Spirit in this short verse is that the word parakletos is applied to the Lord Jesus in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. So Jesus is our helper and intercessor in heaven. He's the one who is pleading our case in the court of God, in the heavenly court of God, while the Holy Spirit is our helper and intercessor on earth. So he's the one who's guiding us and directing us and interceding for us here on earth. Jesus is doing it in heaven, the Holy Spirit is doing it here on earth. So now that we have looked at verse 16, let's look at verse 17, which says, picking up where verse 16 left off, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So the Holy Spirit here is called the Spirit of Truth because he is the Spirit of Jesus who is the truth. So he testifies to the truth. He enlightens people's minds to the truth. He exposes untruth. And he guides Jesus' followers into all truth. So those who are willing to sacrifice truth for the sake of convenience, for the sake of popularity, for the sake of love, or for any other reason, or resisting and defying the Spirit of Truth, which is the Holy Spirit. So the church that abandons the truth abandons the Lord Jesus, because you see, Jesus is the 
truth, which is what we talked about yesterday. Jesus is the truth. Not, 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 not yesterday. Was it yesterday? It wasn't day before. Can't well, yes, it was yesterday. It was yesterday we talked about Jesus was the truth, right? So we've already seen it, and we just seen it again. So John has repeated it, which must mean it's very, 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 very important. So the Holy Spirit will not be the counselor or the advocate of those who take faith in Christ for granted or or who are half-hearted in their commitment to the truth. And we're not talking about truth as is defined by the world. We're not talking about the world's truth and being committed to the world's truth. We're talking about being committed to the truth, which is that Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. So that's the truth we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus' truth. We're not talking about the world's truth. We're talking about God's truth here. So the Holy Spirit also comes alongside only those who worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So what we see here is the Holy Spirit has been with the disciples and that Christ promises them that in the future that he will be in you, that he will be in them. So this promise that the Holy Spirit would live in and through Christ's followers was initially fulfilled after Christ's resurrection when Jesus breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit would also fill and empower their lives in a greater way following their experience on the day of Pentecost, which is when we see the Holy Spirit really, really, really come and take full power in their lives. So now finally, we come to verse 18, which says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So here Jesus reveals himself and his personal presence to those who love and obey him through the Holy Spirit. For you see, the Holy Spirit makes <coughs> makes us aware of the nearness of Jesus and the reality of his love and of his blessing and of his help. So this is one of the Spirit's primary tasks, and the fact that Christ comes to us through the Spirit and blesses us with his presence should cause us to respond in love and in worship and in devotion. And we will pick up from here to tomorrow when we see the last of Jesus' I Am statements that are found in John's Gospel. And this last I am statement is found in the first part of John chapter 15. And in order for you to be prepared to discuss that, you need to read 1 Kings 11, verse 1 through 12, verse 19. Acts 9, 1 through 25, Psalm 131, 1 through 3, and Proverbs 17, verses 4 through 5. Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 13th. So, if you will recall, our daily devotionals are divided into two different segments. We have our 
to the Bible in one year segment. And we have our verse of the day segment. So our verse for today, which is actually multiple verses, comes from Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, which says, Therefore, if any of you have an encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every name should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what are we talking about here, right? So Christ's attitude was what Paul had just described is one of complete selflessness, one of servitude, and one of sacrifice that puts the needs of others above himself or above yourself. Now Paul begins to describe specifically how Jesus showed this attitude toward us. Paul stresses how Jesus left unequaled glory in heaven and took the humiliating position of a servant. And in doing so, he obeyed God's plan to the point, to the point of giving his own life for the greatest benefit of others. You see, a sacrifice gave us the only opportunity we have for freedom from spiritual death, and it provides the final gift of eternal life for all those who accept his forgiveness and entrust their lives to him. And as followers of Christ, we must show humility by living unselfishly, by living sacrificially, and by caring for others' needs and concerns, and doing good to and for them. And so the Bible readings that you must complete for today, June the 13th, are 1 Kings 11, verse 1 through chapter 12, verse 19, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 25, Psalm 131, 1 through 3, and Proverbs 17, 4 through 5. So that concludes our verse of the day segment. We now come to day 163 of our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So, in case you have missed any of the previous segments, you can get caught up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com. So, our focus for today, which by the way, just as a reminder, is day 163, is going to be on John chapter 15, 
verses 1 through 8. So you see, yesterday we finished up John chapter 14, and today we come to John chapter 15, which begins with Jesus' last I am statement. And as we said yesterday, this part of Jesus' last words, of his last teachings to his disciples, may have occurred while they were on the way, on the road, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would be betrayed, where he would be arrested, and where we would see the beginning of God, of the fulfillment of God's plan for salvation to be brought to the entire world. So what we will see in these powerful verses is this constant imagery of vines, of gardeners, of branches, and of fruit. So let's pick up in John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, and going through verse 4 to start off with, which says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So the analogy that is used here of the vine teaches that a vital relationship exists between Christ and the believer. So you see, Jesus claimed, and by the way, that claim is true, to be the true vine. So we see, as I already said, this is the last excuse me, of Jesus' seven I am statements that are found only in John's gospel. This is the only gospel where Jesus uses that phrase, I am, followed by a description of what he is. So the imagery of the vine is used in the Old Testament as a symbol for Israel. So we're going to talk a lot about this in detail once we get through the basics again. So bear with us as we go through the basics so that we can go through this in detail. So the vine imagery is used in the Old Testament as a symbol for Israel. So Jesus as the true vine fulfilled God's intentions for the nation. So we also see that God the Father is the gardener, and that he removes dead, fruitless branches and prunes fruitful ones so they can bear more fruit. Excuse me. So what we see here is that believers should not fear that they will be cut off since they are already clean. We also see that mutual indwelling is the key to fruitfulness in the believer's life. So let's pick up there as we go starting in verse 5 and going through verse 8, which takes us to the end of today's passage. So here's what that says, first starting in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. So again, we see that Jesus repeated the thought that he and the vine and the believers are the branches. So a living intimacy with Christ is absolutely essential if a believer's life is to bear fruit. In other words, if your life is to bear fruit, you've got to have a living intimacy with Christ, the true vine. So apart from this vital relationship of mutual indwelling, we can do nothing of eternal significance. And all those who refuse to remain in Christ, such as those who uh, do not have saving faith, will be judged with fire, like the fruitless branches. So again, fire is a common symbol for divine judgment. So in other words, God is going to judge you based on your actions about fine right so in this so in view of this warning we must understand that Christ's active and indwelling word in a believer is a mark of genuine discipleship so this intimacy of mutual indwelling demonstrates itself in answered prayer. So we're going to now take a closer look at what Jesus is saying here. And we're going to start by looking at verses 1 and 2, which say, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Alright, so, again, the vine is frequently used in the Old Testament as a symbol of Israel, but, but, it is often shown as inadequate or lacking in some way. So what was it lacking? It was lacking the power of the true vine, which is Jesus. But, but in this word picture, Jesus describes himself as the true vine, and those who have become his followers as the branches that have to remain attached to the vine in order to grow. So, again, so just like I said, by remaining attached to him as the source of life, these branches, which are his followers, produce fruit. And so to produce fruit, particularly spiritual fruit, means to develop godly character, set a godly example, do effective service, and lead others to Christ. So what we have to remember is God is the gardener who takes care of the branches in order that they may be fruitful. And God expects all of us to grow and to produce spiritual fruit. So once again we see that Jesus is speaking of two categories of branches. He's speaking about fruitless branches and fruitful branches. 
So the first one is fruitless branches. Those are the branches that never produce or that quit producing fruit. And are those who are no longer, who no longer have the spiritual life in them that come from enduring faith in and love for Christ. So it's these branches that the Father finally cuts off. So what that means is that they are separated from a life-giving relationship with Christ. So essentially what we're saying here is that branches, those of us who are quote-unquote followers of Christ, that are out of contact, that cut ourselves off from or disconnect ourselves from the vine, are lifeless and useless so far as producing fruit. And as a result, God judges us or them, and he rejects them. Why? Why does God reject them? Is it because he doesn't know? No, no, no. It's not because he doesn't know us. It's because we've chosen to disconnect ourselves from the vine, from the source of power. We have to stay connected to that source of power power in order to remain fruitful. If we cut ourselves off from that source of power, we become fruitless, we become unuseful. It's not so much that we lose our salvation, we still go to heaven, we just don't get the rewards that we would have gotten if we had stayed connected to the true vine. So the second category of branches that Jesus speaks of was the fruitful branches. So these are the branches that produce fruit and are those who have life in them because of their enduring faith and love for Christ. So these are the true followers of Christ. These are the true disciples of Christ. As you see, these branches, or these followers, the Father prunes, who is the gardener, right? So in other words, he trims them so that they will grow better and so that they'll become more fruitful. That's the key. God is pruning these branches that are producing fruit, these followers who are producing fruit, so they'll grow better, they'll grow stronger, and in doing so, they'll become more fruitful. So what this in essence means is that God removes from our lives, or from the lives of those who are true believers, who are fruitful branches, anything that takes away from their devotion to Christ, or hinders their life, or hinders the life-giving connection to him. See, God, when he pruned you, isn't punishing you. He's taking away what is bad, what has decayed, what has rotted, what has died away. He's cutting that off so something new can grow in its place so that you become more fruitful, so that you produce better fruit, so that you produce better results. So, what we have to remember is this can often, this is gonna be uncomfortable. It could even be a painful process of discipline, and a painful process of challenge, but we have to remember that the end result is the sweet fruit of Christian character that brings honor and glory to Jesus through godly life and witness. So now let's skip ahead to verse 4, which says, Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So, 
after you accept Christ and are forgiven, you receive the gift of eternal life, which centers on a personal relationship with Christ and includes the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain and develop that relationship. So, given that power, we as the new follower of Christ must then accept our responsibility for staying spiritually connected to and dependent on Christ. So the Greek word that is used there is minom, which means to remain, or to continue, or to live. So, just as the branch has life, only as long as the vine's life flows into it, so believers, so we as believers, we as followers of Christ, have true life only as long as Christ life flows into us through an active and vital relationship with him. And so we have to these are the conditions the, the following things are the conditions that keep us connected to Christ. Right? So these are the conditions. Right? So we have to spend time reading and studying God's word as so that his truth goes into our minds and into our hearts and continually serves as a guide for our actions. That's the first condition. Second condition is we have to maintain a positive habit of prayer, which involves listening to Jesus and drawing strength from him. That's the second condition. The third condition is that we have to obey his commands, which demonstrates our true love for him, and also it includes loving others. Because you have to remember, that was one of the first commands that God ever gave the people of Israel was to love their neighbors as themselves. On top of loving him with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul, and with all their strength. So that's the third condition. The fourth and final condition is to keep our lives spiritually clean by remaining in God's word. And so that means that we're going to be resisting temptation. We're going to be following the Holy Spirit's direction and not the direction of the voices that the world is going to throw at us. We're not going to pay attention to the whisperings of the devil who's going to try to steer us off course. We're going to be listening to and attuned to the directions of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be attuned to the directions of our advocate, of our counselor. So now let's skip ahead to verses 6 and 7, which say this. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So this symbolic word picture of the vine and the branches makes it very clear that you can be cut off from the true vine if you do not personally choose to stay connected to the true vine. So let me make this a 
abundantly clear what I am not saying here is that you can lose your salvation. Once you are saved, you are saved. There is no losing it. But you can choose to cut yourself off from the life-giving power of the true vine, and thus not be fruitful, and thus not get the rewards that could be yours for a living a fruitful life that only comes from being connected to the one true vine when you die and go to heaven. Once you are saved, you are safe. There is no losing your salvation. Understand that absolutely. No losing your salvation. However, this passage does teach one of the most basic principles about the saving relationship between Christ and those who believe in Him. That most basic principle is that one's relationship with Jesus is never static, which means that it's not passive or unchanging, which is what static means. Rather, it is growing. So, it is either growing or it is dying. It's always changing. It's either growing or it's dying. It's either strengthening or it's declining. It's not remaining the same. It's not staying the same. You're either growing in your relationship with Christ. You're either strengthening your relationship with Christ. Or you're killing your relationship with Christ through the things that you have chosen to do. Or, or you are declining in your relationship with Christ because of the things you have chosen to do. Those are your two options. You can either grow and be strengthened, or you can die and decline. Those are your two options. There are, there is no stay the same. There is no middle ground. If you're taking the middle ground, then you're you're choosing to kill your relationship with Christ and have it become, have it decline, 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 till it can be down to almost absolutely positively no relationship with Christ. You completely ignore everything the Bible says. You completely ignore the promptings of the Spirit. You have chosen to completely disconnect yourself from the true vine. So basically what we're saying here is that a follower of Christ cannot, you cannot, you cannot, 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 cannot emphasize this enough, the word cannot rely on a past decision or experience to keep yourself connected to Christ. You have to make a daily choice to stay connected to Christ because if you choose one day to not connect yourself to the vine, then you will have completely cut, you will have started the process of cutting yourself off from the true vine. Because you see, a truly committed relationship with Jesus must continually be progressing and developing as God's Spirit lives in you and shares Christ's life with you. And so what we see here is this illustration teaches three important truths. Truth number one, there are no outside circumstances or forces that can remove a true believer from God's hand. So though that's not possible, it is still the true believer's responsibility to stay devoted to Christ and to not to remove themselves from his purpose and care. So what you must be doing if you are a follower of Christ is continually choosing to remain in a vital and well-connected relationship with Him. And that is a relationship that began the 
day you received Christ's forgiveness and his new and the new life that he gave you. So that's the first important truth. The second important truth is that remaining in Christ results in Jesus continually living in and through those of us who are his followers through spiritual fruitfulness, effective prayer, in a fulfilling sense of joy. So the third and final important truth that is illustrated in this passage is that the consequences of failing to remain in Christ are fruitlessness, removal from Christ, and personal destruction, all of which are bad, all of which are detrimental to your spiritual growth. And as you see, in order for you to be growing, you need to be fruitful. In order for you to be fruitful, you have to stay connected to Christ. And in order for you to avoid personal destruction, you need to stay connected to Christ also. And so the last thing that we see in these things these two verses is that receiving answers to our prayers is in direct relation to our remaining personally connected to Christ and to his word. Because you see, it's impossible to have a spiritually productive prayer life apart from knowing, believing, and living by the teachings of Jesus Christ. So as we grow in our relationship with him through studying and applying his word, the more our prayers will be in line with Christ's desires and purposes, and the more effective our prayers will be. Because the only way you can ever be effective as a follower of Christ is to stay connected to the true vine. And we'll pick up from here tomorrow. And in order for you to be ready for our discussion tomorrow, you need to read 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 20, through chapter 13, verse 34, Acts 9, 26 through 43, Psalm 132, 1 through 18, and Proverbs 17, verse 6.